This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. God is good. He has blessed us. And I tell you what, we're going to have a good time today. I promise you that much. We've got a good spread out there. We got uh, the ladies are back in the kitchen, keeping things warm and everything. So we're going to get to the eats in just a little bit. But I know that there's some things that God wants to impart to you out of his word today. Amen. And so uh, our title today is The Fear of the Lord, Part 2. If you can outline, if you could uh, raise your hand, the ushers will get you one. And, uh, and I'll catch us up a little bit on where we were from last week. And if I could ask one of my ushers, if they could grab me a bottle of water, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, my throat's... Uh, receiving some healing today, so uh, we're going to be we're going to be on top of that. But last week, if you were here, we started uh, a series for a few weeks called "The Fear of the Lord." And I don't know, you know, how familiar you are with these things, but that may not sound like that exciting of a thing. That may not sound like that big of a deal to you. But the fear of the Lord is the topic that has changed my life more than any other topic that I've ever studied. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound like a very big deal. But I say that statement with complete confidence that there are a lot of things that I've studied out of God's word. Man, I've studied my salvation, which, thank God, is the the number one thing uh, that I have is my salvation through Jesus Christ. And I've studied healing. I was healed of cancer when I was three. I had leukemia. The Lord healed me of that. I'm grateful for that. I've studied and and I've poured over many different topics. But when I got a hold of what the fear of the Lord actually is, it revolutionized my life. Because most people, when they read that, there's many Bible verses that say, you got to fear the Lord, you got to fear God. And I'm thinking, why should I be so afraid of him if he's so good? Am I supposed to be scared of my creator? But truthfully, when you really study that, when you really know what it means, the fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. I don't need to be scared of God. God's for me, not against me. Amen. He said he'd never leave me or forsake me. He said he knows the plans he has for my life, plans to prosper me, not to hurt me, plans to give me a hope and a future. He said that 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 he loves me so much that he sent his only son. Why would I be scared of somebody like that? Well, the truth is, is that the fear of the Lord is not being scared of him. Okay, this word that we this Hebrew word fear is this is this word yira, which means reverence and respect. And so the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God Almighty. It's respecting him, reverencing him and and, and honoring God. It's submitting to his ways. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound exciting. I didn't think so either until I actually got into the fear of the Lord, until I actually began to reverence God with every part of my life. And it changed my life forever. I have never been the same. I have got the peace of God. I've got the joy of the Lord as my strength. I've got the peace that surpasses all understanding. And and I'm telling you what, nothing has changed my life like this. And so I don't just throw this subject out there because I've got nothing else to talk about. I don't just toss it out there because, listen, this is one of the most near and dear topics to my heart. Now, the challenge today is this. It's Thanksgiving. I ought to talk about thankfulness, right? Because we should. Well, as I've studied it, I've found out that the fear of the Lord and being a thankful person, they go hand in hand. And we're going to put these two together today because I know that God's got something for you to hear. All right. If you'll listen up. okay. there's a great meal here today. If you leave this place hungry, it's your fault. It is not those ladies fault back there in the kitchen. 
Okay, they did their part. They served it out. You just didn't partake. And I'm going to promise you this. If you leave here spiritually hungry today, I'm not blaming God and I'm not blaming this sermon. I'm blaming you because it's being laid out there. But you got to partake of it. Amen. And football, we've got to thank God. We've got some quarterbacks, but you got to have a receiver to catch that ball, too, sometimes. Right. And so today we're going to pass it. We're going to dish it out. But we need some people to receive God's word. Do I have anybody here today that's going to receive God's word? Amen. All right. Now let's go ahead and pray and we're going to get into this. And I know that God wants to talk to you and minister to you today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that we have a church to come and worship you in. We have a church that we can come and sing your praises and be surrounded, Lord, by our brothers and our sisters. I pray today that as we open your word, you'll to our hearts, Lord, and you'll tell us not what we want to hear, Lord, but you'll tell us what we need to hear, Lord. Don't shy away. We need the truth, God, and sometimes the truth, it's uncomfortable, but we need to hear it, Lord. So speak to us, change us today, and you get all the glory and praise in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so let's break this down, and I promise you, I'm respectful of the fact that we've got some hams and some turkeys and some collard greens and some mac and cheese and potato. All right, I know that. So I'm going to try to do this and 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 uh, and get to the word and then we'll get to the food. Amen. But the first thing I'm going to say is this. Number one is that the fear of the Lord will keep you from complaining. I got any complainers in the house? Come on. Whoa, I didn't expect you to raise your. Oh, okay. We got, we got the fingers pointing. All right. Hey, that's good. Hey, at least we've got some honest people in the house, apparently, too. That's nice. But uh, but I'm telling you, man, the fear of the Lord will keep you from complaining. Do you realize that? I mean, it's it's sometimes you, you know, you need to bring things to light. But it's a whole other thing when you're just a nasty complainer and that's how you live your life. That's an ungodly way to live. And uh, we're going to start things off today by looking at the the Israelites in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with this story, but as you're opening your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14, I think that I ought to catch you up a little bit here. So Exodus chapter 14. Yes. Yes, Lord. Amen. And uh, now if you're familiar with this story, you know that the Egyptians had held the Jewish people and captivity as slaves for 400 years. Now, that's a long time uh, for, you know, for 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 this to be going on. And obviously uh, they were they were beaten. They, they, they lived in horrific conditions every single day. But there's, you know, the story Moses. He's his, his, he gets adopted into the king's family, the king Pharaoh. And uh, Moses, though he is Jewish, he's adopted and he grows up in absolute royalty. He grows up in the palace. And we're talking about Pharaoh here, the Egyptian empire, the greatest at that time in the world. So basically, it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to say that Moses grew up probably in the richest, most respected, most secure household in all of the world at that time. But of course, God speaks to him and and Moses knows that, hey, I've got to go rescue my people. This has gone on long enough. And so through a series of 10 plagues, you remember this, a series of 10 plagues, uh, God finally uh, works and, and they get the Israelites set free. Now they get to the to the Red Sea, right? They make it out there and then Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, 
hey, who's going to go and build all of our stuff for us? We don't want to do it ourselves. So they chase them down. And that's where we're at here in Exodus chapter 14. We've got the Israelites. They're right there at the Red Sea and they've got the Egyptian army moving in on them. And so I'm looking at this, though. And I'm thinking, okay, we've been slaves for 400 years. We've been doing all these people's work. And God comes through with 10 miraculous plagues, okay? And then God uses Moses to come out of the palace and risk his life for us. If there's two people that I love in this world, I love God and I love Moses if I'm an Israelite, right? Because without those two, we wouldn't be anywhere. And so here we are, Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10. And look what happens at the first sign of trouble. It says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? I'm like, whoa, pump the brakes, man. Airbag, time out. You're you're yelling at Moses here. Why did you make us leave Egypt? Because you were getting your brains beat out, man. They were forcing you in the middle of the desert to build. Why did he make you leave? I mean, just just days ago, you hated these guys. And now you're like, we want to be back there. Do you realize? And and, and we're going to we're going to look at this more in depth here. They're like, why did you leave us out here? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Verse 12. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. And some people, they're slaves, not maybe not to the Egyptians, but to different things in their life. They may be slaves to addiction, slaves to lust. They may be slaves to hatred and prejudice, whatever it is. They may be a slave to something and they're saying, just let me stay this way. Just let me be a slave. And I'm, I'm why would you want that? This thing's going to kill you in the end, and yet you're sitting here fighting for your right to be held captive by this thing. And you're like, that would never happen. Oh, it happens every day. And it's sad, and it's sick, and it's wrong, but it happens. And look what they said next. They said, it's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And I'm like, I I, I don't think it is. I, I think that I'd still be, I've seen God do ten miracles already at least. And here we are, and you're saying, no, we'd rather be back there. And so, as you know, God parts the Red Sea and they make it through. And then the Egyptian army comes in and the sea crashes down and kills them. You're familiar with that. Well, you'd think that would finally settle the matter. This would be a very thankful bunch of people. Well, turns out that that still wasn't enough because when you've got complaining in your heart, it's never enough. No miracle is going to finally settle it for you. No blessing will finally satisfy you if complaining has a hold of your heart. Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15, and let's look here at verse 24. Chapter 15 and verse 24. So here comes the next thing they come up against. Verse 24, it says, Then the people complained and turned against Moses again. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. So yet again, here they are. They're like, well, now we don't have the drinking water we want. And they're, they turn against Moses. They complain against him. He's like, God, what do I do? They're mad at me again. If you have somebody like that, it's like, they're mad at me again. All I did was try to rescue them. All I did was try to help them. I got them food and clothing. And, and now they're mad at me again. 
And, and, and that's what keeps happening to Moses. And so he throws it in there and the water's clean. So they're like, OK, we love you again, Moses. But yet again, let's keep going here. They get mad at Moses all over again in chapter 16. This is the third consecutive chapter. We've been in 14. We've been in 15. Now look at chapter 16. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. Well, that sounds like a bad place to go. Anybody ever been to the wilderness of Sin? Come on. I know your testimony. Hello. Between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. But look at this. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. So they complained in place A, place B. Now we're at place C and they're still complaining. So that tells me that your surroundings and your your current environment, that's probably not your issue. Your current location, that it's not a geographical problem. It's a heart problem. It's that you don't fear the Lord. And you'll complain everywhere you go. You could live in the palace. You could live, you could live, you know, in New York City. You could live wherever. And if complaining's in your heart, you're going to complain there too. And so here we are. A whole month later, they're in a whole new place. And there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. Give me a break. There we sat around pots filled with meat. We ate all the bread we wanted. But now you brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Like, here it goes again. Blaming Moses and Aaron, complaining and getting mad. And so, as you know, God says they don't have the food they want. Well, all right. He sends manna from heaven every day and quail. So he sends basically bread from the sky. And he sends wild quail run into the camp every day so they've got meat they've got bread and they didn't even have to work for it it is straight out handed to them do you think that stopped their complaining no because it wasn't about the food it wasn't about the location it wasn't about the water it was about they did not fear the lord so let's look at chapter 17 let's go to the next chapter I'm telling you, man, and, and we could just, you could read this whole story all the way through Deuteronomy and you'll see it over and over and over again. But chapter 17, verse 2, just one more example. It says, so once more, they complained about Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Oh, quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? Why are you testing the Lord? You know, parents, have you ever, you know, you get your kids the fruit snacks, then they, then they want something else. And you, you get them this, and no, I want this. And you're like, quiet! I've given you, my goodness! Will it ever be enough for you? And that's how it is sometimes. And they blame Moses every time. The guy that rescued him, the guy that fed him, the guy that, that made it through the Red Sea, the guy that is, the guy that laid his life down for them. They keep pointing the finger at him. Now, as you continue to read the story of the Israelites, you can go all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. They finally make it to the promised land in the book of Joshua. But you keep going all the way through, and they keep saying this same thing over again. We were better off in Egypt. Time out. Look at this. 
they were slaves. They were they lived in the slums. They were beaten. They had no rights. They were told what to do, when to do it. They were given rations of meat and 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 they were they lived a terrible existence. But they kept saying, we'd be better, we'd be better off back there. Moses, he lived in the palace. He had all the food he wanted. He had servants. He had money. He had everything he wanted. And never one time did he say, I'd be better off back there. Why can you? He had money. He had power. He had everything he wanted. Yet he still said, no, I, I don't, I'm never going back there. I'm better off out here where God wants me. Doesn't that strike you as odd? That, that they, they're better off than they've ever been, but they're saying, no, we are better off. Why is that? No fear of the Lord. When you respect God, when you reverence God, and when you actually submit to God, you don't have that attitude. You're like, you know what? God, you got me where I am. I'm going to be happy with that. I'm going to be, I'm going to be all right with that. You're going to submit and you're going to reverence and respect God. But that just is almost mind blowing to me that the guy that had it in an amazing life, had everything he wanted and the people that had nothing they wanted. This guy says he never one time did he say, I want to go back. He never wanted to go back because he feared God. And let me show you. Let's look at the New Testament telling of this story in Hebrews chapter 11. Because Hebrews 11 puts a New Testament light on it that I think you need to see. And I, I pray that the Lord's working on your heart today because I know that, hey, all of us are probably guilty of a little complaining, aren't we? All of us are probably a little guilty of, of I don't know, I mean, it gets to a place of flat out disrespect. God brought you out of everything. God provided this and yet it's still not good enough. God gave you that job and yet it's still you're not thankful for it. God gave you that house, that car, that wife, those kids, and you're still not even a little bit content. Something to look at when you when you reverence God, though, you don't have that attitude. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 and uh, we'll be coming back to Exodus in a minute, but Hebrews 11, this chapter, as you as you may know, is called the the Faith Hall of Fame. It, it lists all the great people of the Old Testament that were people of faith. And here it comes to talking about Moses. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24, it says this. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused. Isn't that incredible? He He was, I mean, by law and everything, he was a grandson of the king. But he refused it when he grew up. He's like, no, I don't identify as that. That is not who I am. That's not me. And people are like, wait a minute, you're the, you're the king's grandson, aren't you? Nope, not anymore. He, he, he unhooked, he, he, dis, he disengaged from that whole life of luxury and, and leisure and money. And he, he, he didn't even want to be identified with that, not even associate with it. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one, that's a pretty wicked family to be joined to, right? Even if they are rich, they're pretty wicked, man. They're slave owners. They're bad people. And Moses, I'm not going to, no, I don't even want to identify with those people. But let's keep reading here. Verse 25, he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Wow. He chose oppression. He chose some pretty rough times. He chose that 
instead of the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. I wish we had some people like that today that say, I'd rather, I'd rather, even if it me, I'd rather have this than the treasures of this world. But I know a lot of people that absolutely not. They much rather have the treasures of this world than some of the things that, that we give up when we become a Christian. Now, I believe that obviously that God wants us blessed. No doubt about it. God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, no doubt about it. God has provided and supplied. But I know a whole lot of people that that's still not good enough. They'd rather have the treasures of this world. And I may sound like a cranky old man today. I realize that when I talk about topics like this. And that's fine. But listen to me. Moses, he thought, I, no, I'll, I'd rather be out there with those guys than living in this palace right now. Because this palace is wicked and those are God's people. He feared the Lord. And so he thought it was better to, to suffer oppression than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. So we can either fear God, respect him, or we can fear this world. And a whole lot of us, we've got more fear for this world and their opinion than God's opinion. But Moses, he didn't fear the king's anger. And look at this. I love this sentence right here. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Isn't that an oxymoron? How do you keep your eyes on something that's invisible? When you fear the Lord, when you reverence God, he's all that you think about. He's all that your eyes are on, even though you can't see him. You mean you you put all you put your whole life on the fact that someone you've never seen has created a place you've never been to or seen? Like absolutely, man. Everything I've got, I've thrown everything into this. Everything. I, I mean, if this is all false, then I've, I've, I've made the biggest mistake. But I know that it's not false. I know that God is real, that heaven is real, and that I'm going there someday. And so I will gladly do without some things that this world has to offer so I can get up there and see what it's really all about someday. Amen. But the fear of the Lord, you'll keep your eyes on the one who is invisible. And I can promise you that if your eyes are on the right thing, the invisible one, you're not going to be a complainer. You can't be. God's too good. He's been too good to you for you to sit around and complain and whine and cry about what you don't have. Do you fear God? Do you reverence him? Has he done enough for you yet to keep you happy? I I saw a study by a doctor, Dr. Travis Bradbury. He said, research shows that most people... Complain about once a minute during any typical conversation. The average person complains about once a minute during a typical conversation. I believe that. Talk to people. Come on. You go, you go out and go out on the street today. How's it going? That's a pretty nice day. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, well, except for. Uh, what? You got to bring that up? Well, yeah, and you know why that is? Because this and because of that and they and this. Like, man, dude. Time out. I, I, I just, hey, I just want to say, have a good day. But people complain and complain and complain. And, and we wonder why, why so many are weak. Why so many are not seeing the life that God really has for them. Well, it's there. It, it does exist. The promised land is real. 
But you don't get there by being a complainer. You get there by having faith. You get there by by being thankful for what you do have. And so I'm telling you what, if you have the fear of God, it will keep you from complaining. And the second thing I'm going to say is this. Number two, the fear of the Lord will keep you from wandering into sin. Don't use that dirty word, Pastor. Don't you use that sin word. Oh, we're going to use it. (laughs) No, we're going to talk about it. But but the fear of the Lord, it will keep you from wandering into sin. And I'll tell you this, when you don't even respect the Lord enough to keep your mouth shut at the right times, I can promise you that it will lead to other sins. Complaining is one of those gateway sins. You know what I mean? They talk about substance. It's a gateway. Yeah, it probably is. But uh, but complaining, that's a great way to open up your life to a whole lot of other things that you do not want into your life. Because when you complain, it definitely takes focus off of Jesus. And so back to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32. Who's glad they came to church today? Amen. Amen. Well, we're glad you're here, too. Praise God. Exodus chapter 32, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And here we go, the the children of Israel, they're at it again. Out here getting into mischief they shouldn't be getting into. So they never have stopped complaining yet. So Moses goes up onto the mountain, spends some time with God. God speaks to him. God gives him commands and all this great stuff. But the people, they're impatient. So they start complaining. What's taking so long up there? Well, look what happens next. One of the saddest stories in the Bible. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. It says this. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. What happened to that Moses guy? Jeez. Who brought us here from the land of Egypt? So Aaron said, okay, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. This is going down a bad path, guys. This is not good. Bring me those things. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Whoa. Are you serious right now? They're complaining. They just, they could not keep their mouths closed. They couldn't stop. God would bring every, do you realize they didn't have to work for their food? Now we don't appreciate food like they did back then because none of us have to hunt for it. For all we know, food just pops into a grocery store and we go put it into a basket. Okay, we're the we're one of the first generations. You know what I mean? These guys, if you wanted food, you had to grow it yourself. You had to kill the animal yourself. You had there was a lot that went into food. God made food even easier for them than it is for us. He just dropped it right into their lap. But they kept complaining. God God would bring them fresh water. God would bring them everything. Yet they complained and complained. And here they are, and they've got themselves into this mess. Where now they have made their own God. And they said, this is the God that got us out of Egypt. That's idolatry. That's adultery <laughs> on your God. That, 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 is, that is one of the sickest things I've ever heard in my life right here to say this little thing that we made with our own hands. This is our God. Can you imagine that? 
and, and, and it's an awful story that they traded in God, all, the one that's done everything for them, for this little thing that they came up with on their own. That's a sad spot to be in. It's, it's hard to even read. But if you study the Old Testament, you'll find that one thing that God absolutely hated was when his people wandered away and served other gods. And you may think, well, I'd never do something like that. No, absolutely not. You may say it with your mouth, but actions speak louder than words. Because some of us will replace God with our love for money. No, I don't love money. What if God asked you to give something up? What if God said, no, you, you know, you sell that? What if God said, no, don't take that job? What if God said, no, don't do this? You kidding me? That's a $10 an hour raise. I know, but I don't want you to take it. Now, some of you, that this makes perfect sense. Like, yeah, of course I'd do it. God said, and some of you are looking at me like, you're crazy, man. Turn down money. Well, there you go. We know who you really fear. We know who you really respect. You respect Benjamin Franklin more than you knew Jesus Christ. Some people, you know, I, I would never put something before God, but hey, they love their fun more than they love God. Or lust, or any other thing that you feel you're lacking in your life. You, when you get to a place, if you complain all the time, where it's that God isn't good enough to, to fill that void in my life, so I must need to fill that myself. You may not melt your earrings down to make a cow out of it. Hopefully not. That's a little bit strange, a little creepy. But at the same time, you may form some other idol or God in your life. I, I, mean, I get it. I sound old school. I get it. But we need to talk about this stuff sometimes. And so here they are. They felt like God, he wasn't meeting what they thought was their needs. So they said, all right, we'll just, we'll make it ourselves. They made their own God. And some people, whether they realize it or not, they've made their own God. So look what happens here in verse 7. So Moses is up there on the mountain with God. And the Lord has to get his attention. The Lord told Moses, quick, get down the mountain. That your people, and all of a sudden they're Moses' people, <laughs> your people, it's your kids, you know, uh, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Well, what did they do? Well, God, the Lord starts telling Moses all the things they've done. If you read the next verses, and God's like, I'm going to kill every single one of them. And Moses is like, no, don't do that, Lord. Please, please, please let me get down there. Then Moses gets down there. And he's like, I'm going to kill every single one of them. God says, no, 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 no. So God and Moses are mad at the people, and rightly so. They've done something wrong. But look at this, verses 19 through 20. It says, when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger because he was a judgmental freak. No, because he feared God. And so he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground through the Ten Commandments, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into a fine powder, <laughs> threw it into the water, and he forced the people to drink it. That's, I mean, that, that's kind of poetic justice. But at the same time, I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. Like, calm down. But he's like, you think this is your God? Well, what do you think about your God now? And he starts smashing it. And, Here, take a drink of your God. You like that? And it sounds so, I mean, it sounds like he's a madman here. But look at this. When you 
Don't fear the Lord. And, 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 and when, you, when you turn into a person of complaining, it will lead you into other sins. I'm telling you, you don't believe me, but I'm telling you, it will lead you to some other things. But when you reverence God, when you fear God, it will keep you from wandering into the wilderness of sin, which we, you know, is something that we saw a little bit earlier. So out, out of all of this, you realize that the journey from where they were in Egypt to Canaan land is an 11 day walk. You can make that trip. Now, granted, there's millions of people here. So let's say it takes them a month. Now, how long it took them? 40 years. 11 days turned into 40 years. Why is that? Because complaining, if you think it's bad now, you just open up your pie hole, complain a little bit, and watch what happens. You, we can make this a whole lot longer than you ever thought it would be. If you think it's bad now, it can get a whole lot worse if we don't control our mouths. And so complaining, it'll keep you out of the promised land that God has for you. And I know this much, complainers, they're not happy anywhere anyway. Anywhere. I mean, I've known people who lived all over the world and they've hated it everywhere they went. No place is good enough for them. Why is that? Again, it's not a geographical issue. It's a you don't fear the Lord issue. You're not thankful. You're a little complaining brat. You're you're not happy anywhere you go. And that sounds terrible, but that's something for us to think about. Now, my when I was I lived in Oklahoma. One time my pastor said this. He said, there's two types of Christians. There's praisers and there's complainers. Wow. And I, I know that. I know, I know people that they'll, they're just they're praising God all the time. I know people that are complaining all the time. But here's the deal. Praisers always find something to praise God about. And complainers always find something to complain about. That's a pretty good word right there. I don't take credit for that. My, my pastor told me that. But I'm telling you right now. Praisers always find something to praise God about. And complainers will always find something to complain about. So, uh, you know, I, I suggest we let's examine our lives for a minute here. Are you thankful for anything? Am I thankful for anything right now? Or am I just saying, no, that's not good enough. I need more of this. I need more of that. Well, the problem, as we said, it's not how much money you have or don't have or, or where you live or don't live. The problem is that we don't respect God enough to praise him and thank him for what we do have. And this all ties in to the fear of the Lord. And so the third thing I'm going to say today is this. Is that the fear of the Lord will keep you thankful. It'll it'll keep you thankful. Now, obviously, you know, it's kind of cliche to talk about thankfulness this time of year, but we should. We should talk about it all year long. But we should really talk about thankfulness right now. It's a very appropriate time uh, to talk about thankfulness. The first Thanksgiving, as we know it, was celebrated in 1621 after the pilgrims harvested their first crops in their new homes. My 11th great grandpa was there, Francis Cook. My, <laughs> my, my uncle was able to trace back the lineage 11 or 12 generations. But there was about 50 pilgrims there and 90 of the Wampanoag Indians. And they celebrated and gave thanks for three whole days. Who thinks we should bring that custom back? That's right. Three days off work, three days of food, three days of giving thanks. I think that this would be totally appropriate. So 
I make a motion that we pass that on to those that be. But I mean, they still they ate, they ate, they ate, they celebrated. They watched the Dallas Cowboys lose the first ever Thanksgiving Day game. It was incredible. It was. But listen, it was a it was a rough year. That was a rough year for them. You realize that when they first got there, there was a there was a couple hundred of them. And here they are down to being shrunk down to 50 of them. A lot of them died. A lot of them didn't make it. Yet they decided we're going to take some time here to give thanks for what we do have. And they celebrated. And the lesson out of that is, man, you don't focus on what you don't have. You focus on what you do have. I don't have a billion dollars, but I've got money in my bank account. My fit, my kids got food. I got a roof over our heads. Let's focus on that for a minute. And that's, you know, it may sound like, well, everybody knows that not everybody lives that reality. Not everybody truly does thank God for the things that they have. Now, let me show you something in the New Testament. First Thessalonians 518. First Thessalonians 518. Amen. But. But this is something, and you need to teach your kids thankfulness too, don't we? Parents, don't we need to teach them thankfulness? We, we've got to, they've got to get it from us. And they need to see us being thankful. They don't need to see you complaining about your boss all day, every day, complaining about, you know, other people, complaining about your church, complaining. I mean, you realize the example that we set to our children? It's huge. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, usually it seems like when we read something about that, we're like, yeah, let the poor people know that. They ought to be thankful. Well, I know a lot of people who aren't poor and, in fact, live very comfortable lives, and they aren't thankful to God at all. Well, the poor people, they need to be thankful in all circumstances. Well, you... With however, however much of a blessing you have in your life, you need to be thankful right where you're at, too. Because uh, I, I've seen this, that some people, it seems like the more blessings they get, the less thankful they become. Some people, they were, when, they, when they didn't have much, they were thankful to God for the little bit they did have. Because they still loved the Lord like they should. They still feared and they still had enough respect for God to say, you know what, we don't have much, but what we do have. God laid into our lap and God gave us this and we thank him for that. But I know some people, they, you know, they get, they start getting more stuff, more cars, more houses, more jobs, more. And after a while, God is the furthest thing from their mind when it comes to thankfulness. The more, and so you think, well, if I had more, I'd be thankful. Chances are, if you're not thankful for what you have now, you're not going to be thankful when you get more. So I heard this story. These two old guys, they've been friends for a long time. They met each other on the street one day. And so this one, the one old guy, he looks real sad and depressed. And so his friend comes up. He's like, hey, what's going on? What's wrong, man? Something happened? He said, yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. It's like, okay, well, yeah, what, what happened? Well, three weeks ago, my, uh, my uncle died. I'd only met him a few times, but he left me $45,000. And so the one friend says, I'm sorry about your uncle, but I mean, you know, I'm glad you got that inheritance. Uh, why are you so sad? He's like, no, you don't get it. Because in the next week, a long lost relative, a cousin I've never even met died, left me $85,000. I was the next of kin. 
I'm sorry about your cousin, but that's pretty good. I, I, I don't get it. No, you don't get it, man. The very next week, I want a sweepstakes of $250,000. Okay, why are you so sad? Well, here it is Friday this week and nothing. <laughs> and so, as, as insane as that sounds, it's like, man, I know those people. We're like... That God gave him a big blessing that time, and then and then this time, and then that time, and like, well, I didn't get nothing this week. No fair. And then they, they start complaining, acting like a little kid. Well, did you ever stop to thank him for the first thing, or the next thing, or the next thing? But you're just like, you're expecting something every single week to fall into your lap, and God's provided a lot already. But... That's a good gauge for us to look at and and, and measuring our level of thankfulness. Have you stopped and and thanked God for what he did five years ago, for what he did 10 years ago, for what he did last week? Have we really? Did you forget already what he did? And so I'm going to look at, at, uh, I believe, one more uh, portion of scripture here. Luke chapter 17, Luke 17. We getting anything today? You glad you came to church? Luke 17, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 18. Luke 17, verses 12 through 18. And I, I, I realize, man, that we do, we have a lot to be thankful for. My goodness. You know, there's things that are personally between you and God that you have to be thankful for that you don't have to tell any of us about, but you know what God did for you. And I think of, the other countries in the world that I've been to, uh, hey, I realize that, man, my poorest day here is really not that bad. Been to Russia, been to Nicaragua, and uh, even down into uh, some parts of Mexico. And I'm telling you, man, it is not that bad <laughs> where you're at right now. It's not that bad. Luke chapter 17, verses 12 through 18. It says, as he entered a village there, Ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now you read that and you're like, well, that's cool, man. No more leprosy. Do you know what leprosy is? It's pretty much the worst disease you could ever have. It's awful. The skin rots off of the bones on your body, man. It is foul. It is terrible. And, and back then, I mean, it, it, it's incurable. You get leprosy, you're done for. And so these guys, they had a fatal disease. There was nothing that could be done about it. They weren't even allowed to go and mingle with the rest of the population. And then one encounter with Jesus, they are healed of their leprosy. Can you imagine if you had a disease that you just knew it was a matter of days and you'd be dead? And Jesus, somebody comes up and said, you're healed. And it instantly was gone. You could see the flesh that was rotting off of the bones just grow back into place. Would you be thankful? I mean, I think, I'd, I think that, that would be a pretty good day. That would be a pretty solid day. But, but here we are. And so, and so he said, go show yourselves. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, wait, didn't I heal ten men? Where's the other nine? Has no one returned 
to give glory to God except for this foreigner. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. So out of this story, I, I pretty much read this every Thanksgiving, but, but looking at this, ten guys are healed of a fatal disease. Only one even says thank you. Wow. One man out of ten. And if you were to take that as a, you know, a, a very, uh, uh, apply it to our modern day, I mean, you'd say maybe even as little as 10% of people are truly thankful for what the Lord has done for them. Can you imagine that? Not even saying thank you. And I picture it this way. Imagine you're walking down the beach one day and, and out in the distance, you know, someone's drowning and, 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 and somebody goes in and, and, and rescues them and, and pulls them back out and gives them CPR and totally saves their life. And the person that was getting ready to drown and die just gets up and is like, oh, wow. All right. And just walks off. And the, and the hero that, you know, risked his own life is standing there. And the person didn't even say thank you. You'd be like, man, what's wrong with you? Do you, do you? Did we all just see the same thing here? Did we just see somebody that was going to die, and yet somebody else came in that had no obligation to help them, but still came in and risked their life? Well, that's where we're all at right now. Somebody that had no obligation to save us came and did it anyway. You're like, he had to. He was the son of God. No, Jesus said, no. No one's taking my life from me. I, I'm laying it down. I'm giving my life. And in fact, in, in, in the heat of battle, in the garden, when Peter was ready to just kill everybody, Jesus said, no, I could get out of this. I could ask my father right now for ten legions of angels to come and rescue me. So no, Jesus didn't just have to do it because his dad told him to. Jesus said, I willingly lay my life down. And I know this much, I didn't deserve it. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing some of you have not been... 1,000% perfect. Maybe you've done something wrong somewhere along the way. But there's no way. Why did the only perfect guy have to come and, and get punished for all of the imperfect people? I thought about it this way. Imagine you're in a, in a courtroom one day for a case, and there's someone that no doubt about it, dude is guilty. He's done some bad things, man. We'll say, you know, armed robbery or something. And, and, and he's convicted. There's all the evidence in the world that points against him. And the judge is getting ready to hand down his sentence and getting ready to put him in prison for life or whatever the case is. And right before he brings the gavel down, there's just this perfect, sweet little old old lady, perfect saint, never done anything wrong, basically. And, and she's like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. It's okay. You know what? Why don't you punish me instead and just let him go free? Why don't I? I'll, I'll go serve his sentence for him and you just let him go. He can go. He can have my house. He can have my car and my money. We'll just kind of trade places. I mean, everybody would be thinking, what? And as crazy as that sounds, the judge says, okay, fine. If that's what you want to do, I'll let you get the punishment instead. And we'll let this guy go free. Wouldn't that be the weirdest thing ever? But in effect, that's what has happened with us. There was this perfect one that never did anything wrong, that didn't deserve a single bad thing to happen to him. And there was us that deserved some punishment. But right before the gavel came down, he stood up and said, no, 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 I've got this. You give him my blessings and I will take his punishment. Give him my joy, my peace. Give him salvation and healing and restoration. And I'll, I'll, I'll take it instead. I'll take the punishment. 
It's not fair. But thank God the gospel's not fair. Because if it was fair, we, I'm, hey, I don't know what I'd say when I got to heaven. Well, God, I tried real hard down there, but I, mean, I, 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 I wasn't perfect. Well, sorry, you're not getting in. But because the perfect one, he already stood in that gap. He was the mediator. He was the one that stood in our place. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. We get to go to heaven. But I don't have the Xbox I want. Life's no fair. <laughs> Man, I wanted a new car. I don't get one. No fair. They got a new house. They got a new boat. You're going to complain about that? When you should be thanking Jesus every day that you get to go to heaven? You're not getting what you really deserve? I'm not getting what I really deserve? And I'm going to complain because I don't have the Xbox or the PlayStation or the, the car or the house or whatever it is. Really? Look at our lives, people. Look at our lives. Look at your life. And as we move into, you know, this time of year where we're supposed to be thankful, why don't we just say, hey, man, I admit it. I, without him, I am nothing, can do nothing, would be nothing, I have nothing. Thank you, Jesus. And when you start to take that attitude, this fear of the Lord thing, it's not that hard of a thing to do. You realize, man, I love God. I, I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt him. I, I don't want to watch some movie that's blasphemous to God and, 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 and that Jesus couldn't sit here and watch with me. I don't want to go look at someone else's spouse. I, I don't, I don't want to go, I don't want to go and take something that doesn't belong to me. I don't want to go and, 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 and hurt other people and, and abuse other people. When you fear God, that's not that hard to do. You just realize, man, I love Jesus enough that I don't, I don't want to do anything that's going to bring shame to him. I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt him. And so I just hope today that we've painted enough of a picture here for us to look at our lives and say, you know what, Jesus? And I believe, I, I believe, you speak for yourself. I know me, but I think every person in this church today should have some, uh, should have some, asking Jesus for forgiveness for saying, you know what, I haven't thanked you. I, I haven't been thankful enough. A little apologizing to do, I believe. Now, maybe you maybe you don't, but I do. I, because I know there's been times where I've been surrounded by blessings all around, and I've still, I've been looked at a single one of them. I've said, no, what, no what's next? What could, you, what could you do for me next? And so, I'm going to ask us to stand up together today. I've got Josh up here. He's going to lead us in the song. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.